This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. I wanted to talk to someone about helping out young photographers. So I call my good friend, Michael Durr. We kick around ideas and thoughts. We talk about our experiences, and hopefully some of these will help young creatives in the future. You know, if you keep shooting the same things, you just fall into like this plateau, this creative plateau where you're just like, okay, well, I've shot this a million times. You know, I could do this in my sleep to some degree. And it's like you you are constantly pushing the envelope to try and get better. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it just doesn't happen for a while. Right. You just feel like, okay, like it's, I did a good job, but it falls in line with every other good job that I've done. And it's nothing spectacular, nothing to write home about. And sometimes something simple like that, where if you're not doing portraits and you do a portrait and you make something unique, that can elevate your whole viewpoint of how you approach your next job. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from Oscar winners, Pulitzer Prize winners, and small business owner, Mike Franzi. Riders ready, pedals ready, go! And the gate drops. And like, when you pedal, you have a visual. And like, I used to not like pedal hard when it said go, because I was nervous. But for some reason, I got a good gate start by mistake. And I kind of, from the side of my helmet, I can remember like nobody being next to me. And my instincts like pedal, pedal, pedal. And I remember I, I won. I got my first victory ever. I won the Olympics. It didn't matter. It it was such, and I still to this day have my very first BMX trophy. Go to justagoodconversation.com for all our archives. Let's take a quick break from my sponsor before diving into my conversation with Michael Durr. Michael Durr, how are you? I'm doing great, man. This is part two? It's part two. We're like, on, I don't know, my wife, we're like six hours into the second <laughs> podcast. Your, your wife uh, is going to be wondering if you're ever coming home. Yeah, I know. But this has been great. I appreciate you having me. It's been fantastic just talking to another photographer face-to-face uh, about something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, no, no pixels. We're actually yeah, right here. We're, we're right yeah. here. We're, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. We, we're, we're passing COVID back and <laughs> forth. We're fine. <laughs> this is great. I, I love that we're going to kick around 10 ideas and thoughts and try to help some people out. And that, know, That's that, right. And I, I mentioned this on, when we did the other segment. I really believe that these are more life principles than they are actual photography tips. God, I wish that people would understand that. Right. And so that's important, you know, for me, because I've, I've, everything that I've gone through is experience validated. Uh, You know, when I talk about things with either finances or clients, it's not stuff that I'm just regurgitating from somebody that has done it before. It's stuff that I've actually gone through. So I think there's some, some credibility there, even though there's going to be significantly more, um, cloud-based photographers that have, have a lot more recognition than myself. But having gone through a lot, having used and resources that are significantly stronger and better and more talented than myself as well, I'm also leaning on them. So this isn't me being didactic and preachy. So right. I just want to put that out there. This is me actually saying like, I've, I've gone through some shit. You've got the battle scars. I've got the battle scars. I got plenty of them. My wife can tell you. <laughs> and beyond that, I've leaned on the people that have taught me. So they are significantly better talented like yourself than that I am. So it's a collective, you know, group of, you know, take this information if you want to use it and hopefully it can help you out. Right. Cause if you just take anything of what we've said in Michael's podcast and in mine, if you just take 10% and apply it, you'll be better. I think so. And even if that 10% is just listening to Dave Ramsey, like right. just give him a shot. Sure. 
I guarantee you'll be in a better place in 30 days if someone did that. I think so. I think so. Yeah. And, and I'll say this one thing before we kind of get started. I'll say it once and then we'll kind of move on. I am no life coach. I'm no business coach. No, you know, overall mentor for every single person. Uh, not a financial advisor. So take everything with a grain of salt. But I think it's, again, it's based off of expertise of, of significantly more talented and accomplished people than myself, as well as my own experiences. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll just say that as the one preface and then we can move on. Uh, well, yeah. di- well, ditto, because because <laughs> so much of what I've learned is from other photographers. Yeah. Right. Like other mentors, other people, uh, internships when I was younger, uh, working with photographers, even to this day, like it is it is so important to surround yourself with good people that are going to reciprocate back and forth, you know, and a helping hand of ideas and, and experiences and, and lending their knowledge and you giving some back. That's all I hope that people get from, you know, the couple hours of podcasting we're putting together. A hundred percent. All right. So, so marketing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, right. That, that, that's the most, I think important one to start off with right now. I, I would. And it's more mostly mentality based than actual strategy based. Right. Like I could go into the weeds on, you know, email marketing or third party marketing. uh, But really, it's more about just the mentality and the approach of marketing. So I've learned this a couple of years ago. I interviewed somebody named James Patrick, who has helped me out a tremendous amount. And he just succinctly told me, don't be passive in your marketing, be proactive. Mm -hmm. And that changed the game for me. Right. You know, and so what I had been doing for years was I got lucky. I got a, a, a client that was basically a cash cow. I shouldn't say cash cow, but that was my only real client. Okay. And so I didn't have to work for assignments. Assignments just came to my inbox. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which we know a lot of photographers that do the same thing. Right. And that's dangerous. It's a dangerous game to play because it's not so much if, but when something happens where Mm -hmm. that client may no longer be a client. Right. They could choose to go somewhere else. That's possible. Market could contract. That's possible. They could run their business in the ground. That's possible global pandemic, that's possible. There's a lot of things that could happen where that's taken away. So in order to sustain a creative life that you want to live, I think you have to be proactive in your marketing. So it's not just saying, well, hopefully they'll come to me when they need something. What can I do to provide value to them as well as other people so that I'm always on somebody else's radar? What's your top thing you're doing right now differently than you were doing maybe four or five years ago? Mostly pitches. Um, And it's usually just some sort of uh, like a a direct mail pitch. Okay. So let's say I want to work for, you know, a clothing company. Okay. I will go out and make a shoot. I'll I'll do a shoot and I will put something together, a gallery of images. Uh, I might, if I have the opportunity to, and if I think it's really good, I'll print it on a card. Okay. And I'll send it to them and I'll say, hey, this is what I'd love to do. And that's it. And then like, I'll follow up with phone calls, emails. Right. And that's pretty much it. It's, it's not rocket science. Sure. But it's just the proactive nature. And it's like, if they see that, I promise you, they're going to be more impressed than somebody saying, here's an email saying, hi, I'm Michael Durr. I'd love to work for you. Right. How does that stand out amongst the other hundred photographers doing the exact same thing? Mm-hmm. Maybe only five of them, depending on how competitive the industry, it could be way more, but are, are actually sending things to somebody that are actually putting something with their brand identity in mind. And sending it to them. Now, when you're sending that, who are you looking to hit in the, you know, in the company? Who are you looking for? Uh, yeah. And so this is a good question because it took me forever to figure out who I should contact. Right. Directors of photographies, 
producers, editors, whatever, most of the time it's editors that I'm looking for. Okay. You know, and if I can, and you mentioned this in, in my podcast where you're looking at mastheads, right, and magazines right. and the bookstores, those started to go away a little bit. So you uh-huh. have to get more creative and sometimes yeah. you have to find people through social media fl- platforms, you LinkedIn. have to look through LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Um, some are, are resources from other clients that I've worked with. I'm saying like, listen, can you put me in, con- in contact with somebody? Um, so long as I feel like I've, I've done a good job for that client, why not request that they make a referral about me to somebody else? Mm-hmm. Say, hey, I've, I've helped them out. I'd love to help you out. Again, I try to flip it from, instead of saying, here's what I do, here's what like we can do like for mm-hmm. you. you know. So it's not so much about acknowledging the accomplishments that I've made, however insignificant they are. It's more about like, let's make images together. Let's make your right. brand, take it from X you know, point here to the next level as best as I can. Right. Because most of my work is B2B work. It's not so much B2C like weddings and, mm-hmm. and portraits, but I do do that as well. Um, and that's part of the pie. So there's a number of different factors. So, but the B2B work, the ones that I work with for brand marketing and stuff like that, events, that's what I'm always trying to do is trying to show them like, okay, let's, let's make something that takes you to another level. Let's figure out what's missing. Right. You know, if you have these images, what, what would you need more of? What do you need better? Like, what's the demographic like? You know, what are we trying to do? Right. That's a good starting point is to get into that company and, you know, show them work that you could do together. Right. So often it gets lost up of like, this is what uh, I can do. This is what I can do. No. Yeah. It's no, not about it's me. It's we. Yeah. We, we, we. It, it really, together. It really is not about me. It's about being from almost like a consumer's standpoint of their brand. Like I'm consuming your brand. So I know your temp- target demographic. I know your audience. Mm-hmm. So use me as a resource. And I think in many ways, positioning yourself that way is not only helpful to retain or gain a client, but also to increase your pricing, mm-hmm. which is another thing where, because no longer am I just a photographer, I may be hopefully in some eyes, a brand strategist or you know, they don't say, hey, Mike's just a contract photographer. He's part of the team. Right. Now, they may not say that, like, legally because it's like then they would have to pay me as an employee. Sure. But that's kind of the goal. I want to seem like I'm irreplaceable or in- indispensable to them. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. It's not always going to happen. Sure. But that's something you're striving for. Always. So diversity in your client base. Yeah. How important is that for you? Have you been burned? Oh, I've been burned. Yeah. And so going back to what I said earlier, when I got started into photography, I started out with an event company and they, they liked my work, which I was very hap- happy about. And I got sent around the country doing all sorts of assignments. Um, but make no mistake, the people that were cutting the check, that was just one person that you know, was cutting the check. Right. So it wasn't coming from anywhere else. It was just that. And at some point, that company kind of went down. They went south. I don't know exactly what happened. Right. It really wasn't my But concern. that's their business. Yeah. Right. It and, happens, man. But what had happened was at that same time that they were going down, I had just invested, I don't know, $8,000 into new gear, oh. lighting, camera, telephoto lens. Um, I'm having heart palpitations. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and they had basically stopped paying for, you know, a month. And they said, oh. Oh, you know, we are, we're a little bit late. Can you, can you hang on? And I was like, yeah, sure. You've treated me really well. Let's hang on. Oh. You know, a couple weeks pass, a month passes, three months pass. So three months, three months without payment. I'm still doing the jobs, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm still doing the jobs on good faith that they're going to get those paychecks sent out. 
The other aspect that was, um, was tricky about it was that a lot of the work that I was doing was remote or I'm sorry, uh, travel based travel. Okay. So who's fronting the flights, hotels, rental cars, luggage Food. fees. Yeah. Everything, Ubers, everything. Food myself. So that's I'm, a lot of expenditures. So I'm already $8,000 in the hole from past. Know, yes. Because I'm assuming that, Oh, they're going to pay me the checks and I'll be able to pay it off. That doesn't happen. And then I have each month, maybe another few thousand dollars of credit cards because I'm paying for the hotels, the rental car, all that stuff. So I've now seen a completely negative cash flow, which taught me what cash flow was. I didn't even know what it was. Right, right. And so the, the best way to combat a situation like that, not everybody's gonna fall into that situation, but I find myself in like $35,000 of consumer debt really, really quick in just a few months because I was doing all these jobs, but not getting paid for it and coming back later. And by that time, it's too late. You've already incurred all the interest, late penalties, whatever. So that to me was a, a hard lesson of, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. You know, I don't even blame them. I don't even like have any ill feelings towards them. That was just my stupidity of, you know what? You weren't really well prepared for this. Mm-hmm. You just got lucky and you relied on that luck to continue. And it didn't. And also, um, I had my camera stolen. So my D4, Nikon D4, $4,000 camera, whatever it was, got stolen. And the other two clients that I had, which were smaller clients, but still, those went down as well. So all at the same time, it was, it was a perfect storm. You're losing gear, your clients are falling off. Everything. I went from having a, a good setup to all of a sudden having nothing. Wow. And so that, and then also, <laughs> just keep adding stuff onto this. It's really fun. It's a good, fun memory yeah, lane this here. this is great. <laughs> Uh, my wife and I, my then girlfriend, we moved to a new apartment, you know, and so that also requires an upfront deposit, you know, and two months rent uh-huh. upfront. So like already, you know, I don't have extra cash reserve to really pay off anything. Right. So you have clients dropping left and right and your gear's disappearing. Yep. No way to make income. And at this time I had already quit my full-time job, you know, a year ago. So I was full-timing entirely, full-time freelance, but I didn't have any business to freelance, right? I just had that one or those two other ones. So I was in a world of trouble. And if there's any lesson there, it's just like, yeah, don't just rely solely on one because as much as that would be great, you never know what's going to happen. Like I mentioned, anything can happen. You, uh, contraction, uh, global pandemics, whatever it may be. Maybe it's just the sheer way that company deems an employer versus contractor, like an employee versus contractor. Like it just depends on what their process is. So there are a number of factors that could change without your control. You could be doing a great job, but it's out of your control. Right. Okay. So let's say now you're wiser. That situation's happening now. Client X you're shooting for. Mm -hmm. They're a week or two behind. When's your red light turn Mm -hmm. on? When, when, when do you pump the brakes and say, it's not you, but I got to stop until checks yeah, clear? Yeah. Um, a lot of it would be client history. You know, how much history do I have with the client? But for the most part, if they're two weeks beyond the net terms, mm-hmm. so if it's net 14 and they give it to me and it's net 28 right now and I still haven't received anything, certainly I'm postponing any future work at that point. Right. 
Like I, maybe I push it and say, okay, I'll do this next job, but you know, I won't let it go past a couple. And especially if I have to front expenses like for production. So if I have to either, you know, rent out a studio on my dollar, on my credit card, if right. I have to get a rental car, if I have to go travel somewhere, if I have to hire an assistant and then get reimbursed later, no, none of that's happening. Do you have a dollar or is it days for you? So if it's got to like over five grand, is that where you pump in the brakes or over, or, or is it the plus 14? Well, certainly if I would make me raise my eyebrows a little bit. So if it's $5,000 owed and I haven't gotten paid, I'm, I'm pumping the brakes on any future work, you know? Yeah. If it's 14, definitely for sure. Like that, I don't think it would, at this point it would get to that level. See, I'm not a history guy, so yeah. I don't care if I've been in bed with you for 10 years or 10 minutes. True. Yeah. Like if, you know, we're, we're, if it's past 14, I don't care if it's $10 or 10,000, we're done. We stop because yeah. it, it's not, I don't, I don't see this respect thing. Like there's, I, I don't care if someone came down with a grave, ill, whatever, then they can't keep liquids down. Somebody needs to get that check to accounting and take care of me because you're getting paid. Yes. Somebody else is getting paid. I don't care that I'm a, you know, 1099, you got to send it to me. Right. I'm not eating it for you, period. And there are plenty of ways to get paid faster. So I don't always rely just on checks. I, I keep my options open simply for cash flow purposes. Mm -hmm. So I allow my clients to pay me via credit card, Venmo, direct deposit, PayPal, whatever. Methods that are proven statistically to get paid faster. So that is another lesson for every freelancer out there that if you want to get paid faster, don't just accept solely check in the mail. Mm -hmm. That'll take longer. Sure. So, you know, sure, you might have to incur like a little bit of a fee through PayPal or something, but you could also buffer that in. Right. The point is, you know, to give them options so that's like, hey, listen, you know, you're, you're three days delinquent on payment, you know, let's, let's get this over. And so I give them the easiest options possible. Now, I do do things as best I can to incur late charges, fees. Um, I incentivize sometimes for early payment. So it's like, you know, here's... If it's a big job, right? I might give a sort of small percentage, two or three percent off, if you pay same day, as opposed to let's say net thirty, right? Right. So that helps reward, like oh, you know, for them, it's like sure, why not? We can get that over today. Now I I, I do this with a lot of my big clients. I have them pay expenses up front. Yes, and now I do. Right, 100%. flights, hotels, totally. rentals. That's not on me. You know, my contracts. It says fifty percent is paid up front. Yeah, and then you know, and, and that's something that's another learning lesson where I didn't have maybe the uh, the gusto to put that into place early on. Right, and now I do because of the experience that I had, which was so you know maybe traumatizing for my wife and I, especially my wife. Right, I mean, you you try explaining to your your partner. Yeah. Who, uh, Honey, <laughs> yeah, you know who was not my wife at the time, but oh. you know all things considered, <laughs> she, was, she was second guessing. You pulled if, that, yeah, you pulled <laughs> that one out of here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, you try doing that, and um, now I have the understanding, the wherewithal to say, okay, listen, uh, all expenses are going to be paid up front. Yeah, you know, and you know that that has helped out tremendously. It's it's just cash flow, and I understand it now because I, I thought of it as if you're an architect or a construction company, and you're supposed to do a $200,000 remodel, how would you do that without a deposit? Sure. And many deposits up front, like you'd have, you know, pre, you know, during, middle, 
three quarters of the way through. Right. You know, simply to pay for your payroll, to pay for your construction, for, for the, the bills. So I took a lot of from how other businesses would, would operate. Right. So now I value upfront deposits. Uh, I, I took a lot from wedding photographers who do that, mm -hmm. you know, just to secure that position. And it's not right. so much for like a trust factor, although that's part of it. It's really for the cash flow. Sure. So I, I learned that concept of how a business can run out of money, even if it's profitable. Because here's the thing, profit is basically just an accounting term. Uh-huh, absolutely. It, it really doesn't mean that you have money in the bank. It just means that you technically will have profited this month, but right. you may not have the money, it might be on the way. Right. So I learned very quickly, a, a business can be profitable. Technically speaking, I was profitable, right? Because the agreement was mm -hmm. I was gonna make X amount of dollars. Right. On your spreadsheet, you had that money down. Yeah, but in my bank account, it not was such not, a reality. It was not there yet. So that's a harsh lesson, and I hope people take that into, to take, take it to heart. It may not happen to you, but it very well might. <laughs> and if you're not prepared for it, the, here's the cost of it. The cost of inaction, of, of doing it the way that I did it and not being prepared. That $35,000, I was able to clear that out with a lot of hard work. Right. Dave Ramsey special for sure. Right, I, I lived on peanuts. Every dollar that I made for the most part, as best I could, was being thrown to credit card debt all the time. I was paying two or three times a month just to like like get it done. Right. I was selling stuff. I learned how to cook, stopped eating out anything. Mm -hmm. So you had to make a lot of sacrifices to do it. And what that ended up being was, and that was diligence, right? That took me three years to clear out. Something that fall, that took me three months to fall into took me three years to climb out of. So if that doesn't make somebody think twice about like the dangers of not handling your business well, that would be it. Yeah. And it, and it comes down to, again, what could I have done preventatively? And part of that would have just been simply diversify a little bit, a little bit more. So when things were going well, that would have been the best time to pitch to other new clients mm -hmm. and leverage them and say, hey, listen, I've done a lot of great work with this client. I'd love to work with you. You know, when there's a downturn, like, like let's talk about, you know, let's, let's make something happen. Yeah, let's get together. Instead, I just relied on that one client. So I've learned so much just from that one kind of disaster. Right. Um, and I'm very grateful for it, to be honest with you. How are you about uh, business cards? Do you have a credit card solely for business and it doesn't touch anything else? Yes. So there are, there are two ways to answer that. I have a credit card solely for business. It is not technically a business credit card and there is a difference. So business credit cards will not have the impact on your personal credit score. Mm -hmm. So you can basically pay for $50,000 and not have to pay it off and you it won't impact your personal credit, which is a great benefit of having a business credit card. Right. Uh, I do not have that yet, but I'm probably going to apply for one in uh, 2022. So I do have a dedicated just credit card solely for business expenses, uh, which will go with those rental cars, the hotels, the flights, anything business related, mm -hmm. food expenses, which are a pain in the ass if you didn't have a dedicated card to track. Oh, brutal. It's impossible. Yeah. Because you're like, I don't know what this meal was for. That was three months ago. Right. I don't even know what I ate yesterday. Was there a client there? I don't even remember. Yeah, right. no clue. So to me, yes, I split up the expenses so that they're just organized. The, you know, and, and receipts, receipts in a, in a, in a a box. An envelope or whatever. Right? Receipts yeah. fade, so you can't read them after like a month. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a horrible system. So I, and I've, I've done that before, again, when I was starting out, and never again. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good practice to get into immediately is separate your expenditures. Yes. Yeah. So you know where, you know, when you go to your accountant, like, yes, this is what I spent on rental fees, uh, car, mm-hmm. everything. I mean, do you do that as well? Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. For a million years. Right. Yeah. I've got a gold American Express business that they, when I had a, I don't know, God, I don't know, it's on there. It has, I think, 92. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other aspect, too, is that, you know, with a, a business credit card, a specific business credit card, you can uh, usually get higher credit limits. Mm-hmm. And so if you do just use a personal credit card, which I am currently doing that, thankfully, I have a good amount of credit limit and I pay off everything. So I, I don't have balances. That being said, if you don't manage your money very well and you, let's say, have a $10,000 credit limit, which is not an excessive amount on your personal credit card, and then you have to fix your transmission or you know pay for some other expense that comes up out of nowhere. Right. And now you have, let's say, $4,000 of credit limit, basically, is what you have left. Right. And then a client says, we need you to do this, X, Y, and Z. We need you to go to Tanzania and we need you to rent this and do that. And it's like three weeks. Yes. And it's like, well, guess what? Unless you are comfortable and you can negotiate, hey, this is going to be paid on your card up front. But sometimes you might want to take the job, even if they say, hey, listen, it's going to be net 30. It is what it is. You're going to have to front these expenses. It's a a decision everybody has to make for themselves. Right. But if you do make that decision and you can't actually do the expenses because you've mismanaged your personal finances, you've commingled it with your professional ones, you know, you're, you're shit out of luck. Yeah. And it can happen fast too. Yeah. So that was one of the first, that was one of the other early lessons I learned too, is just, you know, have maintain good credit, have good credit limit. Um, because you never know what a client's going to ask you to do or what you might need to do to get the job done. Maybe it's not even something that they request. Maybe it's like, um, oh man, like the day of my camera breaks, I have to go rent a new one or something, right? Right. Like there's some sort of scenario that could happen, any type of emergency. Sure. My car breaks down. I got to, you know, do stuff. I once had a client um, send me, almost send me on the wrong flight. They booked the flight? They booked the flight. They're paying for it up front. Um, But they had accidentally sent me on the following week. And so I show up to the airport and I say, here's my ticket. I was an idiot too because I didn't see the date properly. You know how sometimes like the 8th and the 18th, it's like right. you just kind of see what you want to see. And so they're like, well, this would be great, but this is for next week's flight. And I'm like, oh shit. And so I, you know, my client is oh boy, half asleep, you know, not answering phone calls. So I had to just say, okay, well, when's the next flight out? And mm-hmm. here it is. Here's $450 and I had to pay for it. So again, you know, those things can happen. And if you don't have the ability to do that and handle it, then you may, you may not get that job. You may burn opportunities and yeah. So there's anything could happen, man. That, that, that is, that is a, could be a real nightmare. (laughs) It was pretty stressful. Yeah. Being, you're trying to, you know, God, you're lucky you weren't going to a place where there's only one flight a week or, you know, twice a week, you know, you're going to some godforsaken island out in Alaska and they only go Tuesday, Fridays. Yeah. Thankfully it was like to Denver, you know, and there's a billion flights that go to Denver, but you know, if I were going to Fargo, I'd I'd be screwed. And you need to be there tonight. 
Correct. Like, yeah, you, no, there was no like, you know, we'll fix it tomorrow. There was, you know, you either get there or you leave a message for the employer saying, hey, sorry, neither of us picked up on it on the mistake and the job can't get done. Right. You made it work. Yeah. So and, you and, bailed them out and, and, and it was whether, an innocent mistake. But. Right. Right. And it's it's I'll take a lot of blame for that, too, because I didn't spot it the day that they had sent me the res, uh, reservation. Right. Um, but even if it were like 100 percent their fault, it's still going to come back on me in a lot of ways. So it's like I don't want to burn that opportunity if I think that there's an opportunity there for potential new work. Right. And, you know, you got to you know, dot your I's and cross your T's and make sure where you're going, check hotels, check locations, make sure, you know, where they're sending you isn't a hundred miles away from where you're staying, like all those kind of things. Yeah. Because I I once had a a editor from the New York Times call me on a Friday at three o'clock in the afternoon and ask if I can get to Santa Barbara Mm. by six. I said, yes. If you rent me a helicopter. <laughs> and he was like, well, why? It's not that far. I'm like, yeah, on a map. Right, right but yes. But Friday? That's to insane. Get, to get through, just to get through. I'm lucky I'm in Ventura. Mm-hmm. And I still got another 45 minutes to an hour to go. That's right. I got to go through Mendocino and get into Santa Barbara. And you don't want to show up to the shoot at six. So that doesn't work. No, no. And they were like, well, looking at the map or something. It's not that far. It's not that far. Like, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and again, it's going to come back to you. Right. It's I, going to I, be your fault, even yeah. though it's like, well, you had an unrealistic perspective. It's like, it's still going to be your fault because you didn't get there on time. Right. I know Google Maps is telling you it's an hour 45, and I'm not sure why Google Maps says that. Yeah, no, no clue. Right. Yeah. Would you have the time and date wrong? Because that's, you're not getting there. But I remember he was so upset. I'm just like, I not, I can't. <laughs> no. Like, if you rent me a helicopter. And even that means I'd have to... Get a helicopter. It's going to go from Fullerton Airport to, you know, Santa Barbara. Drop me off, and that's not no guarantee. Like those things happen all the time. Yeah. Let me ask you: How many people do you think really diversify? Let's say in the sports world. Zero. Right. It's so bad because everybody thinks that's it. Yeah. Like, I want to shoot sports. No. Yeah. You you should not be just thinking I'm only shooting sports. Right. Right, you you gotta be, too many people, uh, and you wanna be a buck knife, it's big, it's sexy, it takes one thing, and mm. I shoot sports. You wanna be a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. You wanna have scissors and tweezers, you wanna be able to fillet a fish, and <laughs> you know, you wanna be able to cut a little this, and a little yeah. corkscrew, and That's a thing right. to clean your teeth, and all that stuff. You wanna be able to shoot food, and weddings, and product, and some e-com stuff, and some lifestyle, and some landscapes, you know, travel photos when you go places. Yeah, totally. You don't want to be like, I only shoot college football. Yeah, that's if that's your if that's your niche, I'm okay with that being your niche. It just can't be the only thing you do. Well, so you don't have to show everybody and advertise. Hey, I do baby pictures. I do you know pet photography. Right. But you, if if that is a way for you to diversify your income, then I think you should take a look into it. You don't have to advertise it to the world, right? Like right. if you're high fashion. Having baby pictures up on your website probably doesn't make it seem all that credible, but you don't always have to showcase that stuff. Right. You can still do the jobs. And yeah. So I think a lot of that is what I've just done is is figure out ways to diversify as best I can. And so whether I have a known niche in the photography industry, probably not. I'm sort of like, I would equate it like this. I, I use the analogy of actors. Right. And the people that have, let's say, supreme talent, and, and I know they work hard too. Like nobody works harder than Denzel Washington, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, and all that. Right. But their talent is so elite 
that they don't have to audition for things, mm-hmm. at least not now, right. and not for the last 40 years, but the average working actor is not having a necessarily glorious life. Oh. They are working years on yeah. roles that are beneath their artistic skill set, maybe. Uh, they are taking non-speaking lines. They are auditioning three times a week. Right. They are doing Shakespeare in the Park. They are doing- and getting mugged. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing extra work, right? Where you just stand in the background right. for $100 for 12 hours of work. They are um, taking classes, acting classes. Still, yeah. Still, you know, working on their craft. And if you can make your living as a working actor, in many ways, I think that's more impressive than being, you know, Timothy Chalamet or whoever, Mm -hmm. right? You're right. Because it's like, that's impressive. And so I kind of approach freelancing and my photography in the same way that a working actor does. You know, do I have elite level talent? I think I'm talented. I don't think I'm, you know, anything to write home about in the sense of like, you know, who has shot all these great things. I'm not any Leibowitz or whoever. But I'm not, I'm not, you know, shitting on myself either. I just think that the better way to do it is to approach it as if you are a working photographer. And so I take a lot of pride in that, just being a working photographer and that mentality. So it's kind of a little bit of all of, all of that. Um, now, the only difference is that working actor might take desperation roles. Like, I'm not going to be doing those 24-hour extra works for $100. I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that. Right. But the, the point is you know, to diversify a little bit, to, you know, find the commercial work, find the editorial, find the event work, find the uh, B2C work. And so there's a mixture there. And I think that's helped me sustain. I've been full-time freelance for six years now, I think. Now, do you do any work for yourself, for your soul, where you go and go like, you know what? I just need to go shoot flowers. Yes. Whatever. Yes. No, it's flowers for sure. Yeah, no, no, I don't. (laughs) I, um... I equate it to another analogy would be like a comedian, right? They go to, you know, even if they're big, if it's Kevin Hart, Dave Chappelle or Bill Burr or somebody, they may go to small clubs and they, they call a workout. They mm-hmm. just work out. And so that's what I do. So is it stuff that is necessarily like the uh, most inspirational things? No, but I will do workouts. So I'll rent a studio and I'll get some people together and I'll put to, to a team and a concept and we'll do a shoot. And so that keeps me sharp, you know, and it's a break from the monotony of doing all the type of work that I normally do, where it's like you kind of sometimes run through the motions or you get into that possibility. So you're like, what can I do to break it up? So I feel a little bit more rejuvenated. Absolutely. But you do anything absolutely away from your normal, like flowers, landscapes, seascapes, whatever. Yeah, I I would say um, nothing that's too far off than what I do professionally. The one thing I would say is that my wife and I are, are focusing more on travel okay. experiences and making more travel pictures that way, you know, cause that's not something I get paid to do. I don't right. get paid to do travel photography. Um, and so that feeds my soul a lot more, you know, is that sense of like, let's go see a place that we've never been to. Sure. And I'm going to go out at five in the morning before the sun rises and you can sleep in and I'll come back and, you know, but like, I'll I want to take a nap. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Or I'll have a lot of espresso or something. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to go with a hype husband for the next yeah, four hours. I'm, I'm going to go explore and I'm going to go chase light and mm-hmm. I'm going to just see if there's anything there. And yeah. uh, so that I would say is probably the closest thing to like something that's far off from what I get paid to do. Right. Yeah. 
Well, I'll take out the Joshua tweet this winter and we'll go out and just, oh, just love it. Like that, those are the things like I'm going to do it in a couple of weeks. I think it's really good for photographers souls to get away, have your own couple hours in a day or whatever, and just go Yeah. stop shooting whatever you're normally doing and get back to just take one camera with a 50 and just, Oh yeah. Let's go make to- pictures of nothing. Totally. Whatever. Yeah. And you know, if you keep shooting the same things, you just fall into like this plateau, this creative plateau right. where you're just like, okay, well, I've shot this a million times. You know, I could do this in my sleep to some degree. And it's like you, you are constantly pushing the envelope to try and get better. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it just doesn't happen for a while. Right. You just feel like, okay, like it's, I did a good job, but it falls in line with every other good job that I've done. It's nothing spectacular, nothing to write home about. And sometimes something simple like that, where if you're not doing portraits and you do a portrait, and you make something unique, that can elevate your whole viewpoint of how you approach your next job. Right. So yeah, 100% important. Yeah, because boy, you can get uh, tired real quick of doing the same thing and you don't notice it, and then it shows up in your in your work for your client. And, and I hate that. I, I really hate feeling um, like I'm going through the motions. Yeah, um, that's dangerous. Yeah, I, I don't mind having a good sense of confidence and routine of like, oh, I've been here before. I've nothing, no scenario here is going to really, you know, rattle me. <clears throat> that's, right. that's okay. Yeah. But I don't like feeling like I can just show up. If, if I'm not nervous, then I feel like I'm, I'm just going through the motions. Right. Like I've been here before. Or this is slam dunk. Uh, maybe here and there, that's cool. But creatively, it's, it's a stagnant place to be. And, and I don't like being there. No, you don't want, you don't want to do that. You want to, you want to feel ready when you're shooting that stuff. You don't want to feel bored. No, no. I, and I think that depending on who you're shooting and what you're shooting, unless you're doing product photography, but if you're shooting people and you're engaging with those people, like I do with, let's say weddings or I do with portraits or mm-hmm. corporate portraits or any type of stylist campaign or a lifestyle, uh, that energy will, will, would, you know, be read, read by the people that I'm photographing. Right. Oh. So if I'm just like there, as just another person, then I've done them a disservice, which I don't like to do. Yeah, you don't want to no, do that. No. Value. We got some value and some property. Uh, yes. That's a dangerous thing. It, Valuable property. <laughs> it's, it's always, no, it's, always, <laughs> it's a good thing. So yeah, my next um, life principle would be, or photography principle would be to value your intellectual property and not just your labor. Now, so, explain that. Let's say I am a freshman in college. What do you mean by property? So, because they're going to think like, well, I'm not buying a house. Correct. Right. Yes. I, Sometimes I, it doesn't feel like there's any tangible, um, you know, asset there. Right. But there is, you know, there's the photographs itself and the rights and the ability to use those images. That is your intellectual yeah, property. Yeah, IP is very um, a dangerous thing because a lot of people don't understand early in their career it's theirs. Yes. Yes. Completely. And and, and again, this is um, a concept that it's, it was not invented by, you know, him, but he was the first person to kind of teach me this. And that's Todd Bigelow. I had him on my podcast. You've had him on yours. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that I, I value his opinion very must, much. And he, he taught me a lot about IP and your rights and being able to control that usage. And so the best analogy I could say is that if you're a musical artist, you don't get just, you don't just get paid when you show up and perform. Right. Right. If you've already done the job and you've already made the song, so if Beyonce has made a song, you know, you can't as a YouTube creator just put that song as your intro 
to your videos. Whoa, there's a lot of people that do. I know. How does that work? I know. I know. Well, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're such small fish that she probably won't chase you. <laughs> right. But, you know, um, that's a dangerous slope if you want to go down that road. Right. In that, you know, one day somebody will pursue damages. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, hey, ignorance is not an excuse. And for the last four years, you've been using it for 10,000 times. Yes. And so here's the reality. If you are a publisher of any kind, which anybody can be a publisher now. This used to be hard in like the 90s or early 2000s where the internet really didn't exist. Now it's like anybody can self-publish. Anybody can publish a blog. Anybody can publish a podcast. Anybody can publish a YouTube video, Instagram. Technically, these are all you know, platforms that you can publish. Right. And so it's your responsibility as the publisher to know those rights. So even though somebody could sit, claim ignorance and say, oh, I didn't know, that's not really going to hold up in the court of law. So if you were to use Beyonce's song and she just decided, you know what, I am going to pursue damages, there's nothing you can really do about that. And so I think there's that value of being able to use not only to protect yourself, from people that would infringe on your work, but also leverage it for other possibilities. Right. So if you shoot one photograph of, um, let's say, going to, I'm going to the UK, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And I make some travel portrait or, or travel photography. Um, and I were to, let's say, sell that image to somebody that wanted to use it, but like full sell then I no longer have the, the rights to that image. Right. I don't have the intellectual property anymore. It's as if I didn't take the image. Right. So what I, I would say is, you know, fight for your rights to keep your copyrights and own that intellectual property because many people, though they will inherently get the copyright, they can give it up, mm-hmm. which happens a lot. And I'll be the first to admit, I have and I've done it before and, have, and still do it on occasion. Um, It's something that I'm not going to preach and say, only keep your copyrights without question. I feel like that would be disingenuous for me to say when I'm doing the opposite, right? I think everybody has to make their informed decisions. Right, if somebody comes to you with a hundred grand, says, you know what, we wanna buy all those travel photos. Yeah, I'd be like, no problem. Yeah, you gotta look at it and weigh the costs and go, am I gonna get that return in X amount of days, months, years? Yeah. That's gonna be worth it. So I I don't claim to be, uh, you know, almighty and sticking to my guns there, but I am consistently fighting for those rights. So when a new client comes to me, it's the first thing we talk about, or one of the first things we talk about is, you know, like what type of package do you need? Do you need exclusivity and and you need the entire copyright? So I don't make anything from it down the road. You know, like we have those kind of conversations where I try to broach it. And And it's better earlier than later. And oftentimes I won't even bring it up. I will just put in my estimate. If they ask me for an estimate, I'll just put in the terms that I want set and it's their responsibility to respond. Mm -hmm. So if they're asking for your estimate, that's what I do. I basically say, here's what's gonna happen. I take control over the terms, say here's what the payment terms are gonna be. It's gonna be either same day pay, net 15 or something like that. I'm not letting them dictate, you know, those terms. Now, sometimes they will say, here's our contract, take it or leave it. And again, that's your decision based off of what you're reading what your financial position is in, what you want out of this job opportunity to take it or leave it. And so I'm not gonna begrudge anybody for taking a job, even if the rights aren't favorable, but I just want them to understand what the weight of that decision is. Right. And then maybe sometimes if you feel like you can leverage something for a little bit, 
maybe have an exit strategy so that you do it for a little bit, but then kind of like leave it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not everything is the same. It fits the same box with every client. No, so if, you know, if you're shooting something for Ford and they come to you and say, we want all of your rights mm -hmm. and they're paying X amount of dollars and it's worth it, fine. But if you're shooting for something for the local bakery and they say the same thing, that's only because maybe they just heard it. And they don't That's right. need, and they don't need all your rights. Totally. They just they want to be able to use it in, you know, the website and this and that and the box the boss just said, make sure we get all the images, we get all the rights. Yes. And, and so, then you could say we could just do a split partnership, you use it for X amount of times for a year, and then we can reevaluate the usage fee. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, basically you can negotiate and educate. Most mostly educate. Right. Because right? a lot of clients that you meet for the first time that are maybe smaller, that have never worked with photographers, never really had anything to do with images and licensing, they may not know. I've actually done this with a client. I did a lifestyle photo shoot for their clothing brand last year, and it was a young girl, maybe in their mid-20s, that just yeah. didn't really know the industry well. And so I had to educate her on this whole thing, this whole process, like, what do you want to do? You know, how do you want to use the images? Right. First of all, she tried to convince me that it was editorial in nature, and it wasn't. It was commercial. Um, you know, she, she just did not know the difference. She didn't know the difference. Right. So again, I had to kindly, you know, inform her that uh, because it's for the website to sell the clothing line and so forth, that it's not just accompanying a blog article, that this falls under the commercial rate, so it's going to be a little bit higher. Um, and here's the, the abilities that you can use for it. And then I also retain the rights. If they came back and said, we want the rights in exclusivity, but we also don't want you to have the rights, then that would be, you know, what we call a, a work for hire right. in some fashion, um, which gives me no latitude down the road for relicensing or licensing um, for anything else. Right. Why did she think it was editorial? I think she was probably told by her employer to say you know, hire, hire somebody and, and phrase it as editorial. It's for editorial. You know, it was going to accompany a blog post on their site where it was like 10 uh, pieces of clothing that you need for the winter if you're going to be training in the mountains or something like right. that. Right. So there was an editorial facet to it, but make no mistake, the point of the shoot was to sell the clothing. Right. So in that sense, it became commercial and it turned it from, you know, a... Let's say an editorial for a blog might be a few hundred bucks, right. you know, to a multi-thousand-dollar uh, estimate, and uh, we got the job done. Yeah, take a listen, kids. That's why you need to know the difference between commercial editorial rates. There's a huge difference in money. Huge difference. Oh yeah, and and that's another aspect of you know you talk about diversity, right? Like you know people say, well, I'm an editorial photographer. I'm like, well, do you know what that means? Like, well, I shoot for newspapers. It's like, well, I mean. You can have advertisements in newspapers and magazines, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't exclusively mean that. Right. You know, it really comes down to, and I, I, again, I, I learned this from from Todd. I learned this from people way smarter, way more experienced than me. But it's about you know what kind of story are they really telling? You know, is it a story that's basically here to just be a narrative? You know, with no uh, opinions on selling anybody on a product right. or an idea, then it falls under editorial. If it's not, if there is a a, a sense of we want to sell a, a our brand, we want to sell our services, our products, then it becomes commercial. And then you, you know, you have to know what the creative fees for that are and the licensing fees. And then you go into that negotiation. But that took me a long time to learn. And I'm still learning it in terms of how to articulate it right. well enough. 
so that I don't overload you as a brand new client with all this jargon that you're like, whoa, well, maybe we'll just walk somewhere else yeah. and hire the other person that's willing to give us anything we want. Yeah, I just wanted a picture, buddy. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. Stop me with all these numbers. So it's my responsibility to learn this so well that I can teach it to you and tell you like a six-year-old right. or something like that, yeah. right? Simple, It's to like the point. That's, that's the whole thing, but it takes a long time to get to that point or it takes a lot of energy to learn something so well that you can explain it. It's like learning astrophysics. It takes like a master to explain astrophysics to somebody that has no clue what you're talking about mm -hmm. and make them understand the concept. Right. And that's, that's hard. So that is a good segue into this next one of yours. Number four, determine your cost of living and your cost of business. That yes. is huge because if you fail with that one we just talked about, mm -hmm. you're never going to get good cost of living and good cost of a business because <laughs> you're giving all of it away for, for no money yeah. or you're not being able to make any money from your long-term you know, uh, images. So what, what do you, what's important about your cost of living and cost of business? Uh, basically everything, basically all of your known quantities going out, your expenses should be known to some degree. Mm -hmm. Now things are variable like food expenses right. might fluctuate every month, but you know, your rent or your mortgage, you should know your phone bills. You should know your health insurance, your car insurance, your life insurance, whatever those things are, you should have an idea. Uh, your camera and photographic liability insurance. Um, there are a ton of expenses. Do you have car payments? Do you have student loans? Every expense that you have, like, you know, as well as just your standard, like, living costs of, you know, what your, um, you know, typical grocery runs are going to be, what the cost of, you know, gas is. You should have a barometer for what your monthly expenses are going to be in, as well as your business expenses. Right. So... If you understand that, then you can make informed decisions on what jobs you're gonna take and for how much and how much you're going to spend on certain jobs. So I personally don't love spending a lot of time on low paying jobs, which sounds obvious, right? Sure. But it's not so obvious in practice. A lot of people spend a lot of work and energy and mental and physical bandwidth. Right, nine, 10, 12 hours. 14 right. hours on jobs that are gonna pay them very little return. Right. I, and I have nothing against hard work. There are gonna be some jobs where you do have to do that, but I'm also seeking out jobs where I can work less and make more. Right. But I have to have a barometer. I have to have like some sort of measuring stick of like, okay, well this is, if I'm spending $2,500 a month you know, and you extrapolate that over the course of 12 months over a year, then how much do I actually have to make? Right. So all of those jobs that, you know, like when I started getting into this industry and I was looking into sports and I was looking into these wire services or whatever, I was like, okay, at best, you know, they're paying $150 or something like that per game. Well, $150 per game to make, let's say $30,000, mm -hmm. you know, for the course of the year. If, if my math, that's like 200 games you'd have to shoot. That, that'd right. be like at six hours a game or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. That's a shitload of bandwidth that you're you're exerting. Right. For, for something very little payoff. Oh, God. And so, and then this is not a, a bragging thing at all. Like I've mentioned, there are just so many better and more talented, more accomplished photographers than me. But I, I recognized early on that when I started to avoid that pitfall, I was making more money than the photographers that I were my colleagues coming up and they were working maybe two times, three times the amount of hours that I was working. So I was like, I don't want to be part of that rat race. Right. 
That's just not me. If you understand what your living cost is in the month, yeah, and then say, okay, I have to make two hundred dollars a day. You can understand. Okay, from there, that's the that's the lowest. I need to get up. Yeah. So I need to make four, five, six hundred dollars. Right, because you don't want to just break even. No, because you don't want to be zero net. You got to be above because there's going to be life. Gear's going to break. That's right. Like we said, at the car, the plumbing, something's going to happen. So two's minimum. Anything below that, the next day you got to double. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're in Vegas. The house is always going to win. Yeah. You've got to be making your money. And, and so I would um, say to people that are, let's say, coming out of school and they're looking at different markets. And they're saying, okay, well, I want to go to New York or I want to go to San Francisco. I want to go to LA. Well, just understand that the cost of living there is going to be significantly higher than let's say Arizona, Nevada, uh, Wyoming. Now the job market might be more saturated. Mm -hmm. So you have to weigh those costs. And I understand that you don't have any threshold there or any barometer to compare it to because you're fresh out of college. You don't have any experience. Right. So I get it. Uh, But just understand that when you start living, you know, take those first few months and chart out what you're making or, and, and what your expenses are. You right. Know, really monitor, like, note down to the numbers, like, what you're spending each and every month to live. And this is especially important as you start to freelance full time. Because what freelancers don't have full time, you know, at least uh, what they don't have that employees do is a consistency of paycheck. Mm-hmm. So there are months where I might make $200. And then there are months that I make 15000 So, how do you balance out the lean months with the heavy months? And so right. I had to figure that out. But it, again, it all starts out with what my output is. And then I can understand how to manage a budget, how I can make the decisions necessary so that my wife doesn't go fucking crazy. Right. Lose you know, it saying, on you. Yeah. And, you know, because. Your ass is on the couch again, Mike. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and part of this, too, and this, this is more for people that have, let's say, life partners, you know, uh, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends that are really serious that rely on you. If you want to make that relationship, I think, um, strong in this regard as they support you in your entrepreneurial journey, your your freelancing that has a little bit less consistency, a little bit more volatility and risk, um, the the best way to give them confidence is let them know that you are doing the best that you can to learn all of these things and that you have a plan of attack so that you know the expenses. You're not doing stupid things like, oh, I have to go and buy this new equipment. It's like, well we have all these other expenses mm-hmm. is now the right time. And so part of that too, is I just, I involve my wife with basically all my decisions on purchasing, you know, now there's some things that she doesn't necessarily need to care about overall. And she doesn't, yeah. um, what but, is that cord, Mike? I don't care. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's very important though. <laughs> right. The software, not a big deal, but if mm-hmm. it's like a $500 purchase, for instance, like I'm, I'm letting her know, right. I'm saying, Hey, listen, you know, do you have any objections? Is this something that, you know, works? I think it's going to really help here. Um, and again, kind of like what you were saying on my podcast, I try to look for things that are going to actually make me money and things that I'm going to use consistently. I, Lord knows I bought too many things early on that just sitting on the shelves. Right. And you I, want it to make money for you consistently. Yes. Consistently. So, Not once. Yeah. It needs to have a return of like four times. That's right. With that being said, how do you now do a better job of your living expenses compared to when you start first starting out? You know, believe it or not, so I just combated lifestyle inflation by living smaller. It's really what it came down to. Okay. So I don't buy clothes. I I almost never spend a dollar on clothes unless um, I'm going to a specific scenario where, like, I'm going to the Alps and I need to buy some 
snow gear. Okay. Right. But otherwise for just personal satisfaction, when people go shopping for, you know, every month, mm-hmm. I don't do that. You know, it's a, it's a huge, like I have enough clothes. I think every human being has enough clothes sure. with the exception of the people that are in really poverty stricken areas. Right. But everybody's got clothes. So to me, that's an indulgence. It's not a necessity. My four walls are guts, groceries, utilities, transportation, shelter. The, the missing one would be insurance. Okay. You know, but those are the ones that I basically focus all my expenses on. So my personal wants are less. That's now, huge. It, 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 absolutely huge. I cook significantly more. I never used to cook before. I cook all the time. Yeah, that's a huge uh, cost saver. Oh, yeah. And uh, maybe a lot of people um, coming up don't aren't, aren't learning how to cook. And I think that's an important skill to have, right. you know, for many reasons. But uh, cost being being one of them. So I just try to manage um, my expenses a little bit more intelligently. My wife is on the same page, which is great. I don't have to fight that battle. That's good. And I know people, you know, that... And I don't judge them, but they are involved in relationships where their partner, you know, is just like siphons money out of, like, it's just crazy. Right. Not on the same page. Not on the same page. And that is a huge, um, uh, I don't say red flag, but it is a red flag. But it's a battle. It is. And you're, so being on the same page, we have a vision of like what we want our lives to be. Right. And so I I think that's kind of the point of, of a lot of this is, you know, I want people to live their best creative lives, but I also want that to be like your best life in general. Like how rich can you be? Not just monetarily, but you can live a rich life on a $50,000 income. Mm-hmm. You, you can, just, sure. but you might have to make some sacrifices right. or compromise. So you're not going to Europe. You're not buying a brand new car every two months. That's right. You're not, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So like I'm trying to look at the things that I have purchased and you know, it's like, okay, I'm not looking to lease a car. I'm not looking to buy a new car. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run this thing until I can't run it anymore. Mm-hmm. Basically my, my mindset. Um, I buy used equipment when I can you know, as opposed to brand new equipment. Right. You know, those little things like that. And that's, and that's it. It's not rocket science. It's not, it's not. So this one, this is, uh, you know, anytime you uh, engage with debt wisely, that's always a troublesome thing because debt can get you real fast. Yes. And we kind of covered my, my, my issues with it. And that was just consumer debt, by the way, it wasn't even the student loan debt that I had, which was like, you know, $15,000, just like a, a, a year ago. And that is also cleared off. So I'm debt free. Which is an incredible thing to feel. Like, I mean, I can't explain to people like the emotions that happen. Like when you when you realize how dire straits you're in and then you can clear it off, that is a huge See, the student loan debt, that's that's the scary one for people. Like they yeah. just they, you know, they don't have to go there and they oh, that do too. it. Yeah, yes, for sure. I mean, but you know, like because they're so young, they're they're not maybe thinking quite as clearly that you don't have to go to like this big school or whatever and, and do that. Um you kind of inherit this in a way. So like I realized like, oh yeah, after school, uh, my parents didn't really advise me while I was in school, like how much I was going to have to pay. But once I graduated, it was like, here's your student loan debts. And I was like, yay. Really? They just dumped it on your lap and there wasn't a sit down like Michael? No, um, no, no. My, my parents, uh, God love them, but they, here and there, they have sort of a hands-off approach to, okay. to teaching life. And so they were just like, you're going to get thrown to the wolves. And you know, when my, was when I turned 25, my dad was like, I don't know what you're thinking, but you're not young. You know, 25, you're not young. Sure. Figure shit out. So there's a, a lot of hard lessons there, which I'm honestly incredibly grateful for. Right. Like I, I got things started later. I learned hard lessons um, that could have been maybe prevented, but boy, did I learn them. So I, I've got a thing, like, and I think people miss this, um, with student debt is you don't, it doesn't have to be taken on. 
there's other avenues. And I think it gets lost a lot of mm. times because everybody goes, I want to be a photographer and I want to, um, I want to learn, learn the craft. I need to go to college. You know, there's four branches of the military and they all have mass communications departments and they all have photography, writers, videographers, editors, and they're not going out of business. And I've been in workshops with them at main media workshop. I was with someone in the Air Force and the Navy. And I've actually talked about this with Jay Seidel. And I think if I had to do it all over again, you would do that. I would join the Navy yeah. and do that. And there's no debt you're getting paid. You're traveling the world. Yeah. You're, you know, Ron Tonawaki was with Nikon at the time. He would train them on all their gear. They're always up to date. I mean, it's a, it's a really good avenue. I think people forget because they're like, oh, I got to go to college. Well, that's the same. They're doing the same thing there. That's right. Yeah. And that would have been really smart. Um, I would say for the people that didn't have that foresight because, you know, when you're 18, you're right. 18. Um, and even when you're 28, you're 28. Sometimes like you make dumb st- decisions. Oh, and in hindsight, there, there might have been better opportunities there for you. So all I can really say is that when you do engage with that, because that's going to be it for almost everybody, you're going to engage with that in some fashion, yeah. right? Like it's almost unavoidable. Like you could, unless you're Dave Ramsey's kid and you're taught from the get go to just pay everything in cash, which to be honest with you, I don't necessarily even believe in. You know, I, I love what he talks about with a lot of debt killing process, right. but I like to leverage credit. You know, you just have to use it to use it wisely. Yes. Right. You can get free vacations this way. You can do it, but you're not going to make it rich by using credit card to getting those 2% back points. Right. right? Yeah. Like, you know, so you have to be smart. I don't care what Samuel Jackson tells you. <laughs> exactly. You know? Capital one. Yeah. He's an idiot. That's one and not, a half you're percent. Not, yeah. You're not making money that no, way. Not at all. So you just have to be smart with how you engage with it. I mean, you and I were talking before we jumped on about, you know, how long it would take to pay off a $5,000 expense by paying the minimum payments. If you were to do that, and this was direct, taken directly from uh, Ramit Sadie's book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And he gave an example, and I can't remember the percentage of the APR, but basically it would take 25 years to pay that off if you paid just minimum payments and you would have paid an extra $6,000 more, right. whatever it is, right? And that's if you never paid for anything else on well, the credit card. Right, again. Which you know you're going to do. You're going to pay for you know the groceries. You're going to pay for other equipment. You're... you're daughter's diapers, you got all sorts of shit that you're going to be throwing on that credit card. But if you understand how credit works, how debt works and how fast it can climb. And if you know firsthand experience like myself, how dangerous it can be and how long it would take to climb out of it. You know, those people that have $150,000 worth of debt and student loans, I mean, 200,000, I can't even imagine, you know, I cleared out uh, just under $50,000 worth of total debt. And I felt like I won the world series, right? You know, Can you imagine two K, 200K? Yeah, I can't. It's crazy. And so, you know. How do you, at that point, how do you talk to a spouse about that, right? Like, and then you're trying to buy a home and cars. That is a massive amount. It's so massive. And it's on you because yes, you have to yes. understand. Right. There's there's no one's, I hate that where we repay my debt. Nobody told you to go to a school you can't afford. Right. Exactly. Period. End yep. of discussion. So, and those are conversations, and I and I know that you're having them with your your boys uh, before they head off if they decide to go to yeah. college. I'm not even necessarily convinced that college is a end all be all, depending on what they want to do. Absolutely. But um, 
you know, when you have those conversations and that goes for people that are either in high school about to go in, or if you have your children now and you're having that discussion, it's like, yeah, like sit them down and ask them what they really want to do. Mm-hmm. If they have, if they don't have an idea of what they want to do and they want to figure it out in college, I think that time has passed. Maybe that was a safe mentality in 1988. I don't know. Right. But now that we've been through in the last 13 years, two different recessions, right? And significantly more people in the world, less market saturation, like or more market saturation. Like I think there's a realistic possibility that your return is going to be lessened. So have those serious conversations of like, okay, can you take those first two years and do junior college? Mm-hmm. They're just basic core credits right. anyways. And save a ton. Save a ton. And um, I'm, I'm so appreciative that my wife never went to college in a lot of ways. She regrets not having gone and had that experience. But I'm thankful because we are in a great position comparatively. Now, we're not swimming in money. Right, but you know, you're not, you're not but paying. But we are not. You're not paying $1,500 a month for a student loan. No, no. On top of that, the absurd credit card fees of like 30% APR, right? right? Just chipping away. And I actually have this written down and I use it as a reminder of when I was in serious credit card debt, I jotted down per year how much I paid extra in, in credit card penalties. Oh, that's at the end of the kicking year. the shins. And when you see, so it was like 2015, it was like $6,000, uh, 2017 or whatever it was, like, you know, uh, $8,000, $5,000. And then like, it's totally, when I figured shit out, I got really... Stringent button, and then you can see it drop in like 3,000, 2,000, and then like 80, and then zero, and all that type of stuff. So I could see how many, I literally saw how many thousands of dollars I threw away. Oh, that's a lot. That's a wake up call. So I, I know I, I harp in on, on, um, but you want the, you want people to know 100%. Like if it, it's, it's tough, it's a tough beat, right? Like, you know, you don't realize that when you leave college, you don't start from some zero. No. You're starting from negative. Right. And you're just trying to get to zero. Right. And then you can build wealth, but you can't do it from below. Right, you can't do it. So like in 1990, Cal State Fullerton used to cost like 3,500 a year. Now it's like 7,000. Yeah. So it's doubled. Mm -hmm. But cost of living. That's right. You know, your salary hasn't doubled in that period of time. Like if there's so many things working against you, people don't understand. That's just a state school. So what do you think? SC, Stanford, uh, Biola, you know, smaller schools, but mm-hmm. are private. It, it's expenditure goes up real quick. Yeah. Books, cost of living, uh, dorms, you know, all that stuff. All of a sudden you start looking at, you walk out and you're 150, 200 grand in the hole. Yeah. And for what? What do you got? Are you, are you ready to go? Right. No, unlikely. You still have to take that entry level position. Right. You know, and, and climb your way up the corporate ladder, whatever it is. Um, I, I kind of make the analogy like to sports where I think that you have to have this balance of good offense and good defense of a mindset that mm-hmm. is. So offensive mindset, meaning like you have to like sometimes know when your money can make you money. Right. And, and take those risks, you know, in a volatile market or something like that. And find ways to say, okay, here's, you know, it takes an aggressive offensive mindset to say, here's $10,000 of our nest egg. We're going to invest that and we're not going to touch it. Right. And hope that it's going to work out and we're going to study the market and we're going to invest into this stock or something. That takes an offensive mindset. The defensive mindset is just to kind of protect and to like secure that, make sure that you don't go into the shitter. And so there's this balance. You can't win that way, but you certainly can prevent yourself from losing. You can prevent those blowout games, right? Sure. So uh, to me, it's like that balance of like, when it comes to debt, I I view it as very defensive, 
but it's a good skill set to have to right. understand what that is powerful and like what it can, what it's capable of. And then also how to systematically clear it so that if you do engage with it, which you probably will, anybody starting a business is going to engage with that. You know, if you spend $15,000, you can get yourself a basic camera kit mm-hmm. with some lights. Right. Just like that. Boom. So how do you clear that off when you get $300 assignments? If. Yeah. So you have to have a plan for that attack. And, and I don't want to go into the weeds on how to sure. do that. But, you know, again, we've talked about Dave Ramsey. We, there are plenty of resources out there of how to kill off debt, which I studied, which I implemented. I practiced. And I lived my life by it for three or four years. Um, and it worked. Yeah. Pay yourself first. How important is that? To me, one of the most important in life transforming, you know, principles, uh, believe it or not. You know, it's, it's one of the most simple concepts out there. It is not sophisticated in terms of a financial, you know, wizardry type of thing. It's not trading, it's not buying stocks or anything that is hard to understand sometimes. It's not cryptocurrency. God forbid, I, I could not explain crypto to anybody. Um, but when it comes to paying yourself first, I think it's really easy to make sure that you are giving yourself a fighting chance. So generally speaking, you have to understand what paying yourself last is like, which is basically how everybody tends to budget. (laughs) So what happens is you get your income and you pay for your fixed expenses, your rent, your insurances, all that. Then you pay for your kind of discretionary expenses, your food, your entertainment, things like that. I mean, food is more necessity, but still, um, those variable. And then if there's anything left over, then you put that towards, let's say, your retirement or your savings for, it could be something that's more short term. Like mm-hmm. the vacation that you always wanted to have, the wedding that you want, the honeymoon, mm-hmm. um, a kid's college fund or something like that. Now, that's not technically paying yourself first, but, um, you know, all those things that are really important to you, like you should be paying yourself first and then living off the rest. Right. That way, because if you pay yourself last, there's a possibility that you might have some left over. A possibility. Not a good one. Not a, yeah. Not, not, not solid. Nope. Um, unless you're making a lot of money and you're living on a low amount of uh, expenses, right. like a, you know, low lifestyle. But if you pay yourself first, you guarantee it. So that's the difference. You might have a 20% chance of having something left over for yourself to invest or to put somewhere that you want to, right? This, but maybe a 20% chance, mm-hmm. even lower. But if you pay yourself first, you're going to guarantee it hundred percent of the time. Right. So here's what I do. I have every single paycheck that I get, um, I'm paying myself first. So I will take a percentage of that check. Let's say you pay me $1,000 to do a job. Right. Let's say I take 10%. I make a, a, an arbitrary number. You know, I can't go too high because you have to pay for other right. things. Right, you have other expenses. But let's say it did 10%. So that's $100. I'm just taking, I'm putting the check into my bank account, and then I'm transferring that $100 into another bank account, which I can then use towards something else. So that could maybe be saving for a short-term Slush thing. fun of some kind, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, entertainment, you know, something that you want to indulge on. If you have that sneaker fetish, like you can do that. If you want to go on a trip to, you know, Europe, cool. Or if you just want to play it, you know, the long-term and invest for your retirement, which a lot of people don't do. Sure. Um, you know, I would do that. And so the rest of it is that $900 is like, okay, well now use that to pay off your fixed expenses. I have to pay Uncle Sam. Right. You know, so that's 30% there. So I just have that broken down. So I know 30% is going here. So that's $300 of a thousand to IRS. I'm splitting that income up as well. Mm -hmm. So that's going into the bucket so that I can pay my quarterly taxes. So I don't have to deal with anything at the end of the year. Right. So it's just having that plan for your income. 
and paying yourself first is one of the best ways to ensure that you are putting and dabbling a little bit into the things that mean the most to you, which retirement should be important to you. Yes. Because we're living longer by and large, you know, and the expenses will go up significantly higher. Um, so you're going to want to have some of that money saved aside so that you can live a, 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 no, a nice life. Mm-hmm. Um, and otherwise, if you want to just make it short term, you can do that for short term. Is that where you're consistently reevaluating your value to see like, okay, if I had, to, if I took a job for a thousand, two years later, that job is now 1500 because of expenses, the quality of my work, I've gotten better. I'm more efficient. Yeah. Like that's a lot of things people don't understand. As you get better, you need to pay yourself better prices. hundred percent. You're not the 99 cent store anymore. No, no. At some point you have to have self-awareness of like, what drives me crazy, I've talked to people that were like wedding photographers and I was like, how long have you been doing this? I'm like, oh, I'm 25 years or something. And I'm like, how much do you make for a, a job? And they're like, well, I'm still kind of doing it for free. And I'm like, didn't, again, <laughs> didn't you have like this exit strategy in your mind? How did you think this was going to go? You know, I'm all for doing some free work, but after 25 years, I'm sorry, you need to be knocked over the head a little bit. Uh, yeah. Good like, God, how bad are you after 25 years? You still can't exactly. get paid. And, and the reality is that's probably not that far off from people that never fight for uh, improving their rates. Right. right? And they right. don't realize that there's this other tax that we're being taxed on. And it's just it's not called a tax, but it's inflation. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't really use that as a negotiating tactic in the sense of like telling a client, hey, well, I'm going to charge you more because inflation. They don't want to hear it. But you need to articulate that to yourself, right? You need to negotiate. Hey, listen, in five years, I'm making the same amount of money when I started as I am now. Average inflation, what, two or 3%. So that's 15% less purchasing power that your money has that income is giving you. Right. Are you getting a 15% increase in your rate? Like probably not. Sure. Most people aren't. So to your point, hundred percent, you need to reassess and self-assess like, okay, well, how much have I done here? And you know, where can I make this money back up? Because you have silent killers like debt, which is not so silent, but it can be if you ignore it, mm-hmm. you know, inflation, uh, rising cost of living, it's, it's just part of it. Right. So you have to combat all of that. I mean, I, when I bought my F5 in 96, it yeah. was 29.95. A D6 is now going for 6,500. Yes. That's a huge jump. When I started shooting at SI, assignments were $500. Yeah. Now they're $600 with a buyout. So it's like, right. I was making more at five and you yes. want to pay me a hundred dollars more. I'm getting nothing. And it's, that was in 91. It's only gone up a hundred dollars, but my camera gear has gone up twice as much. That's right. Yeah. Plus every other gear, like, oh my God. And this has nothing to do with, um, you know, income as much, but like it, it certainly does in terms of your decision making. How much more is your, are your responsibilities? Yeah. Have they increased your responsibilities? Through the roof. And so I, I, you know, my wife and I had a discussion when she was going through her negotiations for her job. And I was like, well, how much more work are they asking you to do for this promotion or whatever? And yes, 25%, right. 30%. So wouldn't it make sense to say, well, you're I'm 25% more work. Let's go. Let's bump let's up. Let's start pay. at 25%. Let's start at 25. Yeah. And a lot of people don't think of that. Right. And, and, and until you start to 
view these things that way, uh-huh. you're just going to be very cautious and say, oh, would you give them five percent, five dollars, like five dollars an hour more or something? Right. Or, you know, here's an extra eight grand. But it's they're like, telling you you're going to manage a team of eight and then you've got to write up these ports and right. all these things. You're going to work a, longer hours. Yeah. You're going to have more responsibility. Yeah. And so unless and here's here's what people and I and I was guilty of this myself. Um, nobody is going to increase your kind of brand equity, if you will. The only person that can do that is you. Mm-hmm. It starts with you, at least. Nobody's going to say, hey, Matt, you did such a great job. We're going to pay you double. Right. Never happened. We Probably. love your work. We're giving yeah, you twice You're so good. We're going to pay you 30% more. The only person that can control that would be the photographer or the creative. So it's up to you to decide. At one point now, I wouldn't suggest to arbitrarily just say, hey, I'm jacking my rates up 30%. You know, without providing some evidence of, hey, I've helped increase your revenue. I've, I've exponentially, del- right, like right. You have to yeah. show the value. So you can't just do that. But the point is, um, at some point, and if you've been doing something, if you've been doing repeat work with a client for five years, that shows a lot of trust in your value. You should be rewarded for that trust. But you have to, the hardest negotiation is not with the client, it's with yourself. It's with yourself. Yeah. Being yeah. honest with yourself and what your value is. And sometimes you have to be willing to walk away from a client. Yeah. How often do you walk away from clients? I have. I've, I've, I can probably pick five or six good five figure clients. I've said, I just know more. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do this. I mean, I, I, Cal State Fullerton's one of them. There's a lot of power in it too. Yeah. I mean, like you're controlling an error again. uh, And here's the other aspect too. Like people are always complaining about a couple different things. Um, Three things that I would say they're short on money. They're short on time and they're short on energy, right? And in many ways, the way to manufacture it is to control what you say yes and no to. Right. So if you don't have, you know, time and money and energy, it's like, well, if you say no to the lower paying jobs that take up a lot of your time, you're going to manufacture more energy and more, more time. Right. And if you double your rates, you're going to make the same amount of money or if not more. Mm-hmm. So there's ways to like kind of view this. You just, you just have to view it creatively in a lot of ways to say, how do I get more of this? How do I manufacture it? And the only person, again, like I say, that can do that is you. Is you, right. So I like to spend my time doing things that don't have a whole lot of return. Like I like to read books. Um, You know, somebody might want to, you know, play golf, you know, twice a week. Somebody might want to, and we do podcasts. It takes time. We're not generating thousands and thousands of dollars on it. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. You know, (laughs) after this episode, I promise. Um, so those are things that mean a lot to me. I, I, I enjoy doing that. It gives me fulfillment. So mm-hmm. in order to keep doing those things, I can't do all these other things that take up so much of my bandwidth right. with little return. Right. So I try to find those ways of like maximizing that. What's right. the biggest ROI that I can get? You, you got to. You try to, right? Yeah. yeah. You have to. Starts with the try. Yeah. You have not I love this one. Attach your identity to a purpose, not a position, because that's very dangerous. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, I've, I've been fired before. I've lost clients before. Um, I know the pressure that a lot of young people feel and any, any age, really, when they see somebody of their colleagues, their friends, maybe somebody even not as talented as you having the job that you want, like that dream right. job. And you attach your identity so much to that position and that employer that there's no other way for this to go but down at some point. Oh yeah, oh and, yeah, God, it's so bad. And so here's the, the 
process is like, you know, I, I, I would say that the existential crisis is if you attach yourself so strongly to a position or an employer, right? Meaning you are that job, that job is you. So what happens if that job ceases to exist? So do you. Yeah, gone. Boom, so your, your, your sense of identity, this is more mental health than anything, mm-hmm. I would say. But I think it's important because anybody that's dealt with that crushing blow of like, hey, I'm no longer this. That title has gone. They, they instead fired me because they wanted to hire the intern that will take it for $15,000 instead right. of what I'm asking right. for. So now no longer do I have that cachet of, oh, oh, I work for this client. I shoot for them. It's like, ah, this magazine used to hire me all the time. And that was my my ticket. That was my meal ticket. I could wave that around at parties and be really cool. Oh, look at me. Yeah. And now it's like, what do you do now? It's like, oh, you know, well, I... I read books. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there's danger in that. So Very much so. To to me, what has helped me, and I've I've dealt with this, I've dealt with my own depressions. So I know firsthand, like, kind of uh, feeling that sense of like, oh, who do you shoot for? And then people are saying like, oh, that's nobody. And, you know, there's a pride factor in that too. Sure. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, superior to it. Right. I, I'm, I'm, there was a wonderful guy out of my podcast, Nick Carver. He's got a huge uh, following on social media and he's got a great YouTube channel. Um, if you didn't know any better, you would think like, wow, he's got a glamorous life. He's, he's traveling around shooting all these cool videos and his truck and he's doing all this stuff. He's a meat and potatoes photographer that, you know, Monday through Friday, he's shooting ugly architecture, you know, for commercial buildings. You know, it's not glamorous at all, but he crushes it, does a great job. And then on his free time. He does this elaborate, beautiful, panoramic images of buildings and, and nature and wildlife. It, you know, it, sometimes you got to stop looking around what other people are doing and take care of you. Yes, yes. And and so what has helped me, and, and I'd love to hear what your response is to uh, as well in terms of what has helped you in, in that regard, because we do attach our identities to what we do for work. Sure. Right? It's, it's yeah. very natural. Like, I'm... You know, the photographer for so-and-so, I, I do this. Like I did this campaign, you know, like that right. is a sense of pride. What has helped me through all of that, and I think has, that can have the power to help other people that go through this because it's it's kind of inevitable. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're the photographer for the Lakers or whoever or whatever, like that may not always be the case. Right. And how are you going to handle that, that blow? So what has helped me is to attach my identity to, identity to a purpose and not a profession or not a position, I should say. So that purpose is like what really gives me fulfillment. So for me, it's just to be creative Mm -hmm. and to help people. It's as simple as that. Those are my two basic criterias for a rich life, you know, non-monetarily. And as long as I do that, then I am succeeding. I can't fail at that. But if my identity is I have to be the photographer for... Uh, Travis Matthew or Adidas and I don't get that then you know you feel this sense of failure sure so I don't like to feel that sense of worthlessness which can be you know very prominent for introverts like myself like it it can happen very quickly so that has helped me tremendously manage that like well you know nobody knows who my clients are and I'm okay with that now right but early on it was like man you know I want that clout I want that recognition it doesn't mean as much now, but what has helped me is maintaining that sense of like, okay, attach your identity to what you do, not who you do it for. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there were so many times somebody would be like, oh, I saw your picture in Sports Illustrated. Big deal. 
I was doing better work the other day at, you know, Chalk Hospital. It mm-hmm. was way more meaningful. Yeah. You didn't see it, but it's a, it's a, it's a better story. Totally. Yeah. I was doing a project for, you know, whatever, name that, and you didn't see it. And big deal, you saw a double truck. So what? Right. It was a basketball photo. Who yeah. cares? Yeah, that, that happens so often. Right. And it's like, it's not really important. I mean, there's, there were stories early in my career when I was at the register, like we were doing stuff that, you know, it didn't get, it was pre-internet, so it didn't get big play. And that it was, it was much more fulfilling doing that story. Totally. Than a Laker game or the Rose Bowl or whatever it was. That, that, and, it's, and it's on you to give it absolutely everything you can. Because again, it goes back to, you gotta respect your subject, you're working for your client, and then that work you can show, put it in your book, your website, and show that stuff. Because like how many double plays are you gonna show or a dunk of Kobe? Like, okay, after the second one, big effing deal. Right. Right? But always be making the very best work you can. Don't pick and choose when you're gonna get and be a superstar in a game. That's right. Uh, one quick story was I, um, I photographed a, a husband and wife who were on an event that we were doing. It was a, a walk for breast cancer. And he had lost his wife the following year or something. And um, he came up to me in tears. There was no way that I couldn't stop crying either because it was just like, when, you, when I see somebody like just devastated, um, it's, it's hard for me as an, an empath right. to not you know, feel that in some way. But he was telling me, he made it like a point to tell me like how much this one image I made of them meant him. It was like his favorite picture. Now I'm not running that picture on my social feed. I'm not putting it on my website and saying like, this is the greatest picture I've ever made. But there's no question that experience is way more valuable and way more fulfilling than any external validation of, you know, Hey, you got that cover of so-and-so magazine or right. you got to photograph that celebrity. Like that's, I think that's great. Or you, you know, got 800 likes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Lots of stars. So uh, there, there's so much to, yeah. Finding that balance of like, you know, do you want some recognition externally so that you can get more clients? Sure. You know, you know, you want to deliver good work so that people keep hiring you. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, like the most fulfilling work, probably not that, that portfolio worthy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That happens all the time. It does. This is a good one. Show the same level of respect to your business and as you do to your art. That's right. Yeah. And so this could have been honestly the first one. It could have been the umbrella one to set this whole thing in motion. Right. Um, and it goes back to what I was talking about with your life partner and all this. The way that I combat that reservation from my life partner, that sense of potential resentment, because let's be honest here. Yeah. I comparatively live a cushy life. I don't have to deal with a boss. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have a, a shitty boss, chances are I just work with that shitty boss for like a weekend and then I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And then I work with a new client. Right. Another boss comes along. That, that's right. But I don't have to show up to work every single day with that boss over my shoulder yep. being a dick. So, um, in many ways, that partner is going to look at my life and say, oh, that's, you know, he's getting off pretty easy here. Wow, he doesn't so, get up at 6.30. Right. I can get up at 8. Right. That's pretty nice. He's I can not, make coffee. I right. can, I can play with the cat. around in his underwear. That's yeah. right. So, uh, you know, in order for me to combat that potential resentment, not saying it's always there. Sure. But it would be natural. Right. So, I respect that. And so, what I do is I just show the same respect to the business as I do my art. And so, I, I've... I broached this um, question because our, our mutual friend, Michael Goulding, asked me to answer this question um, you know, for his class. Mm-hmm. And it was basically, what do photographers have to do besides make great pictures to be a pro? And I said, this is, you know, there's a million 
granular answers. Sure. But this is how I would encapsulate it is to show the same level of respect as you do your art. So what I mean by that is when you make a picture, if you're a real photographer, then I, you know, that can be interpreted in many ways, but you are going to be thinking about a lot of things before you press that shutter and after you deliver the picture. So you're thinking about light, shadows, color, composition, depth of field. You're thinking about personal safety or, or intruding on somebody's space. You're thinking about ethics. You're thinking about uh, body language, facial expression, mood, right? Mm-hmm. You're showing that art the highest level of respect that you can afford. Absolutely. Because you, you're not just taking a picture and saying, okay, there's a picture. That's not a photographer in my opinion. No, 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 no. But if you're doing that, you're showing the highest level of respect to that art. If you're learning and spending hours and hours of learning how to do, do lighting and making portraits as best you can, you're showing a high level of respect to that art. You know, you're not just saying, hey, here's a on-camera flash, let me blast you in the face. Right. You know, that doesn't do anything for anybody. Um, and so my, my emphasis would be to show that same respect that you do for your photography to things that you may hate. And believe me, I hate it too. So I'm not good at taxation. I'm not good at accounting. I'm not good at contracts and negotiation. But the way that I show the respect to it is by forcing myself to learn it and apply the lessons that I've learned from people that are smarter than me. Right. And learn from the mistakes that I've made. It's not fun all the time to read, you know, a hundred finance books, which I'm starting, like I'm getting close to, you know, it's like, it's not always fun that way. Yeah. They don't always make the New York top 10. No, no. But you got to get through them. But I'm, you know, it's like I, when I know that I'm not strong at something naturally, the competitiveness in me is like, I want to get proficient at it. Right. I don't want to be weak at anything, which I know I'm always going to be in some fashion. But that's that's the, the point of emphasis. So bettering yourself is a strong point of finding a good leader. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because I mean, if you think you're infallible, I don't want to follow you. That's your biggest weakness, then. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. So I I know, and like everybody has, you know, you you weren't good at retouching before you spent hours and hours learning how to retouch. Right. You know, you probably did some shitty clone jobs, right? And you smoothed out faces that look ridiculous, and you whitened the teeth like an insane person. But eventually, maybe you got better at it. Right. Because you, you put in the hours. Right. You put in the time. You put in the sweat equity. Like, now, the same thing can go for all this. So you may not be naturally good at any of these things. Personal finance, negotiations, contracts, you know, uh, estimates, you know, pricing strategy. You may not be. Right. And you may never be great at it. But if you show the same level of respect to it, you will get proficient at it. If you're just 10% better. Just, Yeah. That's even it. 1% like every, you know, just constantly right. keep measuring yourself against what you were before. If you're smarter at this, if you're more informed at this, you know, listen to people smarter than you and it starts there. And if you just follow that, I mean, everything else will fall into place to some degree. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you just have to start with that, that respect. If you don't, then you're not being respectful to your business. Right. That That's how I see it. Right. Like you're not being respectful really to your craft. So what I was doing by not diversifying, not understanding debt, not understanding finances, how money works, how credit works, how debt works. I was not showing that level of respect to my art. I wasn't negotiating. I wasn't seeking out new clients, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was being disrespectful to it. Right. So that's what I, I would say is don't be disrespectful to your art right. and your, in your business. And a lot of that happens too, because so many photographers are a one man band. Yeah. Right. So if you had a CFO, CEO, head of development, 
you know, a couple of project managers and they all looked around and said like, damn, um, what are you doing to this business? They're going to pump the brakes, but because you don't know any better and you are a one man band, those things kind of happen. You're not uh, developing the product, right? Photography, you're, you're, you're not having someone in charge of money, your CFO, all these things. You don't have a legal team. Those are things that, you know, you have to get a little better at as your little encapsulated business and, and you can survive. But if you don't, you go by the wayside like so many other photographers before us. Yeah. And, and I like what you're talking about in terms of like all the hats that you wear as a creative, right? You know, if you're a solopreneur and you are not just the photographer, you are the creative, you are the legal team, you're the accounts payable, you are, you know, marketing, uh, marketing, yeah, the art director, PR, yeah, God knows what, like whatever yeah, janitorial other, services <laughs> for sure. Right. <laughs> Clean up a lot of shit. Yeah, um, God. So if you are wearing all those hats and you're doing all those things, um, really, it's just, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, it, it, it's just better. You will be better if you could do a little bit of those things. And if you don't get better by any of them, then you're going to fail. Yeah. Just period. Yeah. So reading those finance books, mm-hmm. um, doing any of those little things that help you out, learning how to do, uh, um, you know, uh, bids and, and, yes. understa- and understanding budgetary uh, right. conditions, you know. Even communication with the client yes. can be improved Like on. you were teaching that girl the difference between commercial and editorial. That's huge. Yeah. Even if she was BSing you, it's still huge because you you told her what was right and you now she realizes that doesn't fly. Yeah, that's right. That's big. It is. It's absolutely big. Right. So that's... I, I, and you're a one-man band. That's right. Do you ever feel sometimes you wish there, you had a partnership, like you were in a, in a, uh, a Michael Durr conglomerate and there was like two of you or three of you working as a team? Do you, do you feel better sometimes bouncing off ideas with other creatives in a, in a, in a team? Or um, have you gotten comfortable being solo? I, I've gotten comfortable being pretty solo. That being said, I mean, I like to bounce ideas off. I like to get new ideas, new strategies, maybe things that have really worked for people that are, again, more experienced, have had better success, um, have seen their money grow faster, have cleared off debt faster, have gotten um, consistently more emails read. You know, when you cold email somebody, you know, whatever strategies that you're applying and having success with, I certainly like to learn from everybody. I pull from so many resources. So would you rather be in the Beatles or James Stewart Uh, or James Taylor? I I guess I don't have necessarily a (laughs) preference, but I would say this. I am so grateful for being the one man show because without that, I would not have developed all of these requisite skills. So if I had just stayed an employee and been part of that band, right, I would not have focused on proactive marketing. Why would I? I get a paycheck every two weeks. Right. I just show up and I get a paycheck. I would not have focused on, um, you know, separating my income. Taxes are withheld. Sure. I don't have to worry about that. It's all taken care of for you. The, all the, there are so many skills. Negotiating with new clients, educating them. Um, you know, we have a legal department here. Right. To overlook things when a, a contract comes in from just a new. Just push it off to legal. Yeah. So to me, I wouldn't trade that experience for you know, the comfort of having a team per se. Now, would I be equipped to do so down the road? Of course. Yeah. yeah. But I'm so glad that I, I learned all of this stuff. And again, I'm not, I'm no master at it. Right. 
there's so many experts that could teach me so much. You know, my father, my brother, CPAs, I know nothing. I'm barely scratching the surface compared to them. But the funny thing is where I am versus some other people are, there's like a bigger gap between those. Huge gap. And so what I'm saying is I'm bare minimum. You know, I want people to be better than me so that I can chase them. You know, like that's what I think it uh, needs to be consumed and resonates with somebody. It's like, hey, he's just doing the bare minimum, you know, and it takes me a long time for certain things to grasp something. Right. You know, I'm not a great student. I was never a good student. It sounds sometimes like I'm intelligent, but I'm really like I was a D student in high school and college. I don't even know how I graduated. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's crazy. So if I can do this, they just wanted you out. I know. They're just like, enough with this guy. Good enough Lord. with this guy. Um, so no, like that that's a serious thing. Like I it it might take me four times reading the same book to really grasp the concept. Okay. Or or something. Mm-hmm. And some things are easier than others. Something comes everybody's got their strengths. Uh, but yeah, so I just work at it tirelessly to understand it and to be able to share that wisdom if I have any with, with other people. Right. Um you know, because I, I understand the loneliness of having people tell you, you should know this by now. And there's like this look of judgment. There's this like assumption like that. Hey, you you know, yeah, it, it is what it is. You know, time has passed you by. Your opportunity is up. Um, I don't like that feeling. So I like trying as best I can to master whatever I can so that, you know, I, I guess I'm always, I've always got that chip of like, you know, I'm, I'm not smarter than anybody. Like I'm always like kind of at the bottom of the class type of thing. So I'm always trying to like level up. And, uh, I think that's why I talk to people like yourself. I talk to people on the podcast so that I learn as much as I possibly can. Yeah. You know, well, n- wrapping it up here, the last one is always being professional and courteous is a nice way to figure find, find finish our 10. That's such That's a right. sweet way. It is a sweet way, right? Yeah. And, you know, I didn't want to go on something like, you know, super <laughs> depressing. Uh, no, I, I think that's a, you never know who you might end up working for, right? Or with, yep, or absolutely, with, yeah. Right, so depending on how you talk about any level of subject, and you can vent and, and have cordial ventings about frustrations, but if you're talking shit about your employer with a fellow colleague, and then one day that colleague becomes the employer, you know, how does that make you look when you're applying to that buddy of yours? And it's like, oh, he's going to be my boss now or she's going to be my boss. She might remember how I used to talk about so-and-so in this position and how much this job is like, you know, pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, how, how serious am I as a candidate? And I think that that along with how you work with clients, emails oh, are yeah. very tricky. I have sent emails and I've read them multiple times trying to, as best I can, eliminate any sense of hostility. Mm-hmm. So I was very careful. And still it came back like, wow, that was a real dick email, Mike, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. Like I read it multiple times. I prepared as best I could. <laughs> I thought I took the dick I, out of it. <laughs> I, exactly. I thought I did. And I said like, hey, listen, I would love to jump on the phone call, phone call with you uh, and clear things up. It's like, in no way that was my intent. I read it multiple times. I still read it again, and I didn't see that intent come through. But mm-hmm. that is the written word sometimes. Right. So I apologize. And their perception of it. Yeah. Their perception is going to be different. So you just never know, like that energy. So I just try to be as best I can, courteous and professional. Um, I try not to talk shit about people, um, even if they talk shit about me. 
Right. You know, which, you know, they're, they're entitled to, I suppose, but like, it's just the way it is. Sure. It, you just never know what paths you're going to cross, you know, and, um, you don't know what production coordinator is going to be an art director in five years. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. There's right? a lot of mobility. Yeah. You know, the junior art director, now she left and she works at Duluth Trading Company and she's the art director. And then she became the senior director at Ralph Lauren. And you're like, wow, I was a real jerk to her. Yeah. Yeah. She's never going to call. And, you know, we all have our pet peeves, you know, like what really rubs us the wrong way. Right. You know, like um, I, th I think any form of like elitism kind of bothers me a little bit. So I, I've had people big time me for sure and, right. and make me feel like, yeah, hey, you don't have a seat at this table. Sorry. And I'll always remember that. Now, I'm not going to, you know, tell them like that they're they're douchebags. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I'm kind of like they're douchebags. And, you know, if I were in a position where it was like all of a sudden I'm the editor and I'm hiring, I'm like, honestly, I'm probably not going to have that person on my team. Mm -hmm. Right. And, I, and so I know that if I treat people that way, there's a possibility that they're going to be like, hey, no, we don't want Mike. Guy's a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. So, right. you know, it's, it's a very simple bow tie of it. It's like it's something that is like, of course, you got to be courteous, you got to be professional, but it, it needs reinforcing one last time. Right. You know? Especially when you're early in your career. Yeah. Be humble real quick. You're yeah. young. Oh, you yeah, got yeah. a long way to go. Yeah. Don't think you're a hot shot because you're on the side of a sideline of some game. That's right. It's college. Big deal. We've <laughs> all been on that yeah. sideline. That does not impress me at all. Right. Be a good person. It is. It really, Thank people. It. There's so, again, this is, these were all life principles for me. So like really... I could encapsulate that as just being, if you can get through life not being a dick, you know, you've gotten halfway there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a I'm bare sure minimum. Mother Teresa pissed off a few people. Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't go unscathed. Right. And some people are just going to hate you no matter what. But, and especially if you're honest. Yeah. That, that is what it is. Um, but if you if you come from a genuine place and you really care about people mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff, I think it, it's, uh, I couldn't be more of a proponent of just being a good person. Yeah. Mike, this has been a great, what are we like on seven hours? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's been a while. This is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. We talked about life. We talked about business. We talked about everything. And I'm, and I'm grateful too, because you know, a lot of my podcasts are more interview based and this was a lot more conversational. So I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to have that back and forth. No, I've had a blast on yeah. yours and mine. It's back to back. I mean, we're going to get some good content in the next couple yeah, of weeks I'm, for people. That's right. We're going to sleep well tonight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so where can they find your content? Uh, so my website is michaeldurphotography.com. Okay. Uh, Dur is spelled D-E-R. People never know how to spell my name if I tell it to them. <laughs> you know, uh, it's like the German word for the, right? right? Um, my Instagram is michaeldur underscore photography. Now, how, how active are you on your Instagram? You know, I used to be active and now I haven't posted in like a year. But, you know, and, and this. Wow. Well, we need to change that. We, we do. We got a vacation coming up. That's true. That we're going to make some images. Yeah. But, you know, and, and I didn't mention this before. And then the only reason why I'm not, and I'm not an expert in social media marketing. Um, but what I, I found is, again, I, I focus a lot more of my energy towards higher ROI endeavors. Right. And so I just haven't found that that was a huge ROI in terms of client development. Oh, it, it really isn't. And, and some people have had success with it. I just haven't found it, which is. Who are they? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I, I'll connect you with them. Yeah. I, I, I read that on a blog post or a exactly. book once in a while. Yeah. Five who ways to get you? your. Who are you? Get more clients through Instagram. <laughs> I haven't found that personally, and I didn't really need the extra external validation. Um, I will post more frequently down the road. It just hasn't really been something that was that important to me. I would rather spend, you know, that time, you know, figuring out who the client is that I can reach out directly to and get in touch with them. Right. 
and all that type of stuff, as opposed to deciding what should I post, you know, and how can I um, write the bio description or whatever. So it's just not something that I've been doing. But. One thing on this, we're going to go on a tangent with another six more hours. But <laughs> do you ever feel sometimes that if you do post on Instagram, it's a little bonus to a client? So let's say you shop for client X and they're going to post some things and you post some things and it kind of is a two-way street where you're just saying like, thank you, client X. I had a great time and, you know, making these images for you. Do you ever find that helpful or, or a plus? You know, I... I hadn't thought of it a whole lot, but I think as you say it, it probably does, you know, just to, to I, I believe- it's One of the reasons I do it. Yes, okay, so, and um, part of proactive marketing to me is also appreciating, and I know we're going all the way back- Right. Um, to the, the first principle of mine, but- Four hours ago. Yes, <laughs> is to also show your current clients appreciation. Mm -hmm. So I spend a budget, this is another aspect too, you know, people are always very quick to spend $15,000 on a lens that is not going to make them any money, but they won't spend $100 on, on marketing, right? right? They just, it, it's backwards to me. Whereas yeah. I'm like, listen, I'm spending a couple hundred dollars just on, on holiday gifts for current clients, mm -hmm. you know, and there's nothing special. It's nothing, you know, cookies, whatever it is. Right. Simple thank you. Boxes, candy, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And, and listen, I don't do this to prospective clients. I feel like that's too bribey. Right. But for current clients that have been part of my year, that have been, you know, a great collaboration, I, I show that appreciation. And so that social media aspect, that is a form of appreciation. So I totally uh, understand where you're coming from and I might look into that a little bit more. Yeah. It's never a bad thing if, you know, you're shooting something, you do a little tag and, hey, had a great shoot, look at the artwork that's coming or we did with client X. No one's ever going to get upset about more exposure. Right. And then... Um, you know, and so that's that's my, those are my uh, website and social handles. And then the last thing would be uh, my my podcast, which is Entrepreneurs. Um, play on the word entrepreneurs, right? And uh, we're on you know, all the same platforms, but it's uh, weekly episodes where we do short form content that is geared towards informing f young photographers and green photographers of you know nuanced things. You know, so I just did one on credit, say credit checks, or credit scores. Credit scores, um, right? You know, do one on you know, model releases or maybe into certain specific clauses on a contract. So we break down things there and then also do uh, creative interviews as well. That Fridays? Every Friday. Every Friday. Yeah. yeah. All right. Check it out. Yeah. Don't be sloppy. Get on the podcast and listen yeah. to Michael. I appreciate it. All right. You're the best, man. Let's Thank go home and see our, our yeah. brides. If they're still there. <laughs> I know. They right? might have left they're us. They're gone. <laughs> you're the best, Mike. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Michael Durr. Please click the like button if you enjoyed the episode. Subscribe as well. And remember, you can find all of our shows on the website, justagoodconversation